And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. <clears throat> but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, who killed the, you killed the fattened calf for him? He said to him, son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The pleasure of inviting uh, Bill Burns to join me on stage. Bill is going to be sharing with us today from Prodigal Son. Many of you know Bill. Um, Bill is our service coordinator, so he makes all the trains run on time. All uh, the teams, he runs, and he makes sure that we know what we're doing and what colors things are supposed to be and all those wonderful things. So in addition to that, Bill is also an, an LPC. He's a counselor. Uh, but what you may not know is that Bill was one of my Greek professors at Redeemer Seminary, and I also had a doctrine of humanity with you as well. And here's the thing that everybody knew about Bill in seminary, is that if you needed somebody to talk to, he was the guy to go talk to. There were always students in his office speaking with him. Uh, so it's no wonder that he ended up becoming a counselor. So you get this special treat of hearing from someone who has uh, been in ministry for over 20 years, including many years of ordained ministry, plus the heart of a counselor uh, preaching to us from this amazing story, The Prodigal Son. So I'm going to pray for Bill, and we're going to enjoy hearing from him. Lord, I thank you for Bill. I thank you for the years that I've known him and just the ways that I've seen him um, minister 
just from a place of, um, of gentleness, of understanding, and just all the amazing ways that you've gifted him, and what an amazing um, part of St. Bart's he's been. I pray, Lord, that his, he preaches to us. You would bless uh, his message, and you would open our hearts to hear what it is that you would say to us through this incredible story. In Jesus' name, amen. Great to be with you all this morning. Great to be here at St. Bart's. As Chris mentioned, I'm gonna be talking about the parable of the prodigal son, which is a parable that's very near and dear to my heart, particularly because of the the way that uh, Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, influenced me both personally and in my counseling career. Um, In his book, Henry Nouwen looks at, uh, well, he describes his experience, his encounter with Rembrandt's painting the return of the prodigal son, which he sat with for several days in a museum in St. Petersburg. And he writes about the painting. Thanks, Brad, for putting that up there. That's Brad Hepp. He's a Redeemer, uh, our Redeemer Bible Church elder who runs our slide for us. Thank you, Brad. We appreciate you. Well, now and writes about this, his encounter with this painting, and as he unpacks the meaning of the parable, he sees how his own story is embodied in this story. He understands how he can identify with the characters in it. And one of the things that I can certainly say as a counselor is that all of us struggle to understand the Father's love for us. So as we look at each of the characters in turn, what I want you to do is ask yourself the question, who is it in this parable that I identify with? So let's start by looking at the younger brother. The younger brother's the prodigal. He's sort of the most famous character in this story. And and the opening of the parable sort of seems so simple that you might miss this as it goes by, but he effectively says to dad, hey, give me my share of the inheritance, which that's not really how an inheritance works. When do you get your inheritance? Right, when your parent dies, and especially in the highly patriarchal society of the ancient Near East, for a son to say to his father, give me my share of the inheritance, he's effectively saying to his dad, would you die already? I don't want you, I want your money. Now I just, one of the most shocking things about this parable is not just that he would have the audacity to say that, but that the father would actually give it to him. Can any of you, if your son said, hey, would you die already so I could have your money, how many of you would be like, oh, sure, here you go. It's just, it's, it's really hard for us to, uh, to imagine. And we don't know why the son does this. I mean, everything in the story suggests that the father's a good man, but clearly the son has no idea who his father is and does not understand the nature of his love for him. Deep in his heart, he wants a party. He wants the good life and he doesn't think he's gonna find it at home. So he takes his inheritance, goes to the far off country, and squanders it on reckless living. Well, that doesn't turn out so well for him. Kind of as you can see in the picture, he ends up in a pretty wretched state, eating from the pig's trough, which again, for a first century Jew, meant um, defiling himself. That there's a real sense of he's at rock bottom at this point. So when he comes to his senses, he thinks, okay, here's my thought. I'll go back home. Now, of course, I'm not (laughs) gonna get my position back as son, but 
my, my dad's servants had a better life than I have now. So maybe, just maybe, I can become one of his servants and then I'll be better off. And so he rehearses this little speech in his mind. I don't know if when you're gonna have a difficult conversation you rehearse that speech over and over again so that you're ready for the moment. And when he gets, to, when he gets home, he has no opportunity to give the speech. The dad's not interested in the speech because even before he's reached the house, his father sees him from afar and runs to him. And again, just to be clear, in the first century, adults don't run. Children run. So he embarrasses himself. He risks his own humiliation by running out to the very son who's told him that he wished he was dead. And on top of all that, he puts his best robe on him, he puts sandals on his feet, he puts his ring on his finger, and he throws in the party that he's always been looking for. It's really remarkable, and we don't really know how much of this the son understands, but it's got to have made an impact that this was definitely not what he was expecting. And maybe you identify with the younger brother in the parable. Maybe you sort of feel hopeless that you could ever really experience God's love. Maybe you feel like you don't measure up. Maybe deep down you wonder if you really matter to anybody. Maybe you've experienced disappointment, heartache, and are just desperate for some kind of happiness wherever you can find it. Not long after I first came to St. Bart's, I had breakfast with the man who's the director of the counseling practice where I now work. Uh, I wasn't working there at the time. And he had actually been my counselor a number of years before. And I had actually kind of dreamed that maybe one day I would get to work there because I thought it would be an amazing opportunity be a great fit, and it would be a fantastic thing. But at that point in my life, I had been through some really painful work experiences, and our beloved seminary that I taught at had sadly closed. And so at this breakfast where he did, in fact, ask me if I wanted to come work at CBC, I was a little cynical. I was a little skeptical. So I kind of asked him about it, what it would be like, what would be involved. And at the end of our breakfast, he said, tell you what, why don't you just think it over and why don't you get back to me? And I said, okay. And I went home, and a little bit later, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone and telling him what had happened and, you know, what our conversation had been like. And my friend said, you don't sound very excited about this. And before I had had a chance to censor myself, I heard myself say, yeah, I don't want to get too excited about it because if I do, I feel like God will just take it away from me. And my friend said, I see. So your plan is that if you can just pretend that you're not excited, then you're going to trick God into giving it to you? <laughs> well, I said, well, when you say it like that, it sounds bad. <laughs> but I was confronted with the fact that where my heart was at that place, it was really hard to hope. It was really scary to risk. It was really hard to understand God's love and to believe that he actually wanted me to have something good. And I was also keenly aware of the fact that things that I had pursued that I thought were good hadn't turned out that way. And so God used that moment to bring me to a place where I could come to him with open hands and say, 
God, would you please give me something good? I think this is good, and if it is, please give it to me. And if it's not, please don't. It was a very risky thing to do, but here I am all this time later, and I do work at that counseling center, and it has been the most richly rewarding experience of my entire life. So that's the younger brother. Let's take a minute now and look at the older brother. You know, at first reading, and in the Sunday school version, the older brother's just kind of even ignored, like, oh, he didn't do anything wrong. He seems sort of sympathetic. I mean, you can all understand, you know, you do the right thing, and where's your reward? No, the, the person who doesn't do the right thing, they're the one who seems to get the reward. So the older brother in this parable, when he hears about the party, decides that he's not going to participate. He's going outside. Which, again, it's easy to miss the fact that this is a party. Everyone in the village has been invited. And where's, where's the, the landlord's, where's the master's oldest son? He's not there. It's a pretty disrespectful thing for him to do. It's embarrassing. It's dishonoring to his father. And the father could very easily send one of his servants out there to go march his behind into the party where he belongs. But instead, just like with the younger son, the father goes out to his older son. What the older son misses out on is that he never asked for a party. His father would have been happy to give it to him. And all of his obedience all these years turns out to be self-serving. It wasn't coming from a place of love. It was coming from a heart that thought that this was the way to earn his father's love. Just like the younger son, the older son doesn't understand his father's love, and he certainly doesn't share in it. He doesn't have a heart full of generosity and compassion. His heart is resentful and self-righteous. Turns out that just like the younger son, he's lost. He's equally lost. And it calls to mind Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who go up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. I, I obey. I do what I'm supposed to do. I do the right thing. Thank you that I'm so much better than him. Whereas the tax collector can't even look up but beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, which one of these people rightly understands their relationship with God? It's the tax collector. And maybe you identify with the older brother. Dave said last week that when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, we sort of get that backward. If I keep God's commandments, then he will love me. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel the burden of responsibility to do the right thing, to be the good one. And maybe sometimes you get frustrated that being good doesn't seem to have a bigger payoff, especially when you see the treatment that other people get. If you're as old as I am, you probably remember the 70s uh, TV show Battlestar Galactica. It was really campy, very, very cheesy. Well, in the 2000s, the Sci-Fi Channel did a reimagined version 
which was, in a post-9-11 world, uh, far darker, far grittier, and far more emotionally charged. It's the same basic plot. Humanity's down to about 15,000 people because the rest of the human race has been slaughtered by their mortal enemies, the Cylons, who are on the hunt. Humanity is on a number of ships that are traveling through the galaxy trying to find a new home and escape from the Cylons. And the commander of the fleet, Commander Adama, um, he has uh, two really hotshot pilots. His favorite is Starbuck, who in this version is, is played by a woman. And his other is his son, uh, Apollo. Now, one of the things that you need to know is that Starbuck was formerly engaged to Commander Adama's older son, Zach, who tragically died in a training accident. But because of her connection to his older son, uh, he really loves her like a daughter. She's like the daughter he never had. Uh, he delights in her, he enjoys her. She's very near, near and dear to his heart. And this causes a little bit of a problem for Apollo because he didn't really want to be a pilot in the first place. But he feels like, especially with his older brother gone, that it's his job to try and make his dad proud, to live the life that he thinks dad wants him to live. But deep down, there's always that nagging question of whether or not he's done enough, whether or not he's earned his father's respect and love. Well, in one particular episode, <clears throat> on an expedition, Starbuck crash lands on a planet. And they're searching for her, but the conditions are very difficult, and it's hard to find her. And the other problem is that anytime they stay in one place for too long, the risk really goes up that the Cylons are going to find them and wipe out the remaining humans. So they're doing everything they can. They're expending lots of resources. And it's really coming down to the wire, and they still haven't found her. And it sort of gets to the point where the risk really seems untenable. And person after person is telling the commander, we have to abandon the search, we have to get out of here before the Cylons wipe us out. And he doesn't do it. He keeps persisting, trying to find her. And Apollo is leading the charge, trying to help uh, find Starbuck. And finally, the president of the colonies comes and meets with Adama and his son Apollo and says, what are we doing here? Are you really going to let the entire human race be wiped out just to save one pilot? And he, Adama sort of tries to assert it's a military matter, she needs to stay out of it. And she finally just says, okay, you're both honorable men. I'm just going to have to trust that you're going to do the right thing. And Adama and his son look at each other a bit sheepishly and Adama calls off the search. Spoiler alert, she's saved at the last minute. She's okay. But before that happens, as they leave the room, Apollo turns to his dad and says, I have to ask you something. What was all this for? Why did you do it? And Adama says, she's family. You do what you need to do for family. Well, Apollo says, and if it were me out there? Mama says, you don't have to ask that. And he says, no, I think I do. And Adama looks at him and says, son, if it were you, we'd never leave. 
he would sacrifice everything for his son because he loves him. And that's what Apollo struggles to understand. And regardless of which brother you tend to identify with in this story, it turns out that we're actually both brothers. We've got a little bit of both of those things. And in fact, they have more in common than it may seem at first. Because the younger brother thinks that he has to be good to earn his father's love, just like the older brother does. And the older brother's all obedient until he thinks things are unfair, and then it turns out that he's got the heart of a rebel too. It's easy for me, when I think about this parable, to identify with the younger son, because I know all the ways I screw up. Until you put a self-righteous or judgmental person near me, and then I start praying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that self-righteous person. I thank you that I know I'm a sinner, and that my heart is full of love and compassion, not like that jerk. And it turns out that I'm the self-righteous one. That was a little surprising when I first discovered that. Well, interestingly, what people usually don't ask, what they ask when this parable is taught is, which brother are you? What people usually don't ask is, which of the three characters do you identify with? Because it's so hard to identify with the father in this story. His actions seem crazy to us. Who does that? His younger son wishes he would die and asks him for his money, and he gives it to him. And when his younger son comes back, he runs out to him. And when his older son dishonors him at the party, he goes out to him. He moves toward him. We struggle to identify with the father because this kind of love just feels so foreign to us. And Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, uh, makes an interesting point about the, the title of this story. It's usually referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. And again, that's really the only context in which we ever use this word. And it's easy to think that the word prodigal must mean wayward. But what it actually means is recklessly extravagant, lavish. And although it's used to apply to the son's spending, Keller's point is that it's God's love that is so recklessly lavish and extravagant. He is the true prodigal of the story. We struggle to understand that. Our hearts find it really hard to believe. And whether it's by going to the far off country or trying to earn the very thing that we crave, we are all pursuing our heart's greatest desires at all costs. Which is why marriages often tend to devolve into a power struggle. Why can't you treat me the way I want to be treated? And you do everything in your power to get your spouse to do that. Whenever I do marriage counseling, I always start off with the ground rules. The ground rules are, I'm not here to help you fix him, and I'm not here to help you fix her. The only hope your marriage has is if both of you stop working on each other and work on yourself so that you can actually learn to love this other person and accept them for who they are. Because that's the only hope your marriage has, is for both of you to learn to love each other. And if you do, your marriage will be wonderful. 
Which brings us really to the most challenging aspect of the parable, which is the invitation to become the father. Here's how Nowen puts it in his book. It feels somehow good to be able to say, these sons are like me. It gives a sense of being understood. But how does it feel to say, this father is like me? Do I want to be like the father? Do I want to be not just the one who is being forgiven, but also the one who forgives? Not just the one who is being welcomed home, but also the one who welcomes others home. Not just the one who receives compassion, but the one who offers it as well. It's a sobering question, isn't it? He goes on to say, though I am both the younger son and the elder son, I am not to remain them, but to become the father. No father or mother ever became father or mother without having been son or daughter, but every son and daughter has to consciously choose to step beyond their childhood and become father and mother for others. It is a hard and lonely step to take, but it is a step that is essential for the fulfillment of the spiritual journey. It's hard because it requires that like the father, we're willing to experience heartache. We're so good at crafting our lives to avoid pain. And yet, the only way to truly love another person is to be willing for your heart to be broken. That's one of the hardest things about being the father. Both his sons break his heart. And his willingness to endure that heartache and still move toward them is the very thing that gives them what their hearts so desperately long for. And it's a lonely road because you have to wait patiently for the object of your desire to decide to love you freely, loving them in the meantime, waiting, hoping, with no guarantee of the outcome. So how in the world do we do it? Our vision here at St. Bart's is to connect the people of East Dallas with God and his people so that we might behold God and become more like him. The only way any of us could possibly live out that love is if we've experienced it for ourselves. So as we taste and see that the Lord is good, as we behold God in the person of Jesus, as we see how Jesus left everything behind and gave himself for us because he loves us, and how the Father uh, spared nothing but gave us everything, even his own Son, that we might be rescued, that he demonstrated his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we start to taste that Father's love, it has a transforming quality, and our hearts become captivated with the goodness of that love, and we become more and more willing to enter into the Father's heartbreak and to share in the Father's patience that we too might experience the joy of others coming home to us. Thank you, Bill. Only Bill could make a sermon work around emotionally charged sci-fi. <laughs> you had me.
at Alien. Um, nerds are welcome here at St. Park's. Yeah, I suddenly felt like I was welcome as a nerd in church, so thank you. I know what I'm watching this week. Um, I could probably watch the series today. Anyway, never mind. This is not about me. I'm not or the fact that I'm There is some content that might yeah. be objectionable. Okay, so. thank you. Um, we want to pray. And we want to pray because this is, this. I think, you know, the parable of the prodigal son and that invitation to be like the father is exactly what our world needs today. It's, it's an incredible um, thing that if you were, I wasn't, um, you know, the renewal, I wasn't around for the renewal movement of the 90s, but the Spirit of God really moved through praise and prayer services and other initiatives like that. Uh, and it probably still does today, but today what we're seeing, not just in the U.S., not just in Canada and England, but in Africa and in India, is that the Spirit of God is moving, as he did in the 90s, through services of praise and prayer on the wings of hospitality. And COVID-19 prevented the church from moving into its two great strengths, which is a ministry of presence and a ministry of hospitality. And so we want to pray uh, in a moment that that would be released amongst us. I, I had an opportunity to sit down with someone who, whose very ideals were di diametrically opposed uh, to mine who saw the world in a way that I, I as, as a believer, I didn't think I could assent to. And um, I liked him, and we sat down, we talked at length, and he told me about what he thought uh, should be happening in the world today, and I told, I didn't really say much. And then um, he suddenly asked me my thoughts. And you know, vegans are hard to debate with. Because <laughs> there isn't any good vegan barbecue. And, um, and yet I was so thankful for that conversation because with my current health issues, having Crohn's disease, sometimes I need to supplement my meat intake with vegan options because of the way they're, 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 they're there. And so I really wanted to convert him to brisket, chicken, and everything glorious under the sun. And yet actually I walked away from that conversation being empowered to actually supplement my life with something that is very life-giving. And we need God's love if we're going to be able to welcome people to our tables and connect with them so that they will meet with Jesus, as opposed to trying to convince them that they're wrong. And so we're going to pray. Um, and because Bill's point here is absolutely right, we need to be filled with the Father's love so that we can put the Father's love on display for the world to see. So why don't we pray? Do you want to stand? Why don't you stand with me? Bill, why don't you pray, and then I'll, 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 I'll carry on. Father, we thank you for how you have shown us uh, the riches of your love in your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you invite us to taste and see your goodness. And so many of us feel so hurt, feel so lost, feel so empty. We pray that you would meet us wherever we are and fill us with your lavish love. And that as you do that, you would not only welcome us home with open arms, 
but that we would experience you as our Father, and that we would want to bear the family likeness, that we would be moved to grow up into becoming the Father. As Dave said, we're, our, so, our world is so desperate to experience love. We pray that you enable us to be those people that show your love and testify to the truth of your generous, compassionate, loving heart. So would you come, Holy Spirit? We know you've been with us all day long, but we ask that even now you'd give us a renewed sense of your presence with us. Would you fill our hearts with the knowledge of your love? And would you prompt us in our imagination with people to meet with, to spend time with? Would you pour out the gifts of hospitality in our midst? Lord, would you teach us how to be present? Would you fill us with your presence? And Lord, we lift you now, especially those who are in a position of waiting, either waiting for healing, waiting for a decision to, be, to come through, waiting for you to provide. And we ask, as Bill said so powerfully, Lord, we give to you our heart, and we ask that you would teach us how to expect good gifts from you. So would you come and move in power, we pray. In Jesus' name.